Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. Hey guys, Pastor Justy here from Rock Creek Family Church, hoping that you are doing well today, hoping that uh, everybody is having a good day on this Wednesday. Um, We are going to get into our study here, continuing study called Listen Carefully from the Book of Revelation um, we're going to talk about the Church of Thyatira today, um, but I hope that you're doing well um, as we get started in this. Let's just take an opportunity to to worship God and to praise Him and really understand that God is at work. God, God's hand is moving. God is He is not um, He's not so far away that He doesn't know everything that we're dealing with and everything that we're going through. In fact. It's one of my favorite things about the study in the book of Revelation is that before he reveals all of his power and before he shows the move of his hand, he opens up his heart and he lets the people know that he is right there with them. Just as he did then, he's doing with us today. It's a simple thing in theology we call the law of first verse. And how God showed that he operated in the beginning of things is how he continues to do things as well. And here we see at the beginning of the church over almost 2,000 years ago, we see how he operates and how he moves in the church and what he does and the way he does it. Uh, and that he is he's walking with them through all of the trials and through all of the persecutions and all of the things that they're dealing with. He's right there with them personally. And well, if he did that then, we can take heart that he is doing it right now. I know things are uncertain. I know things are a little bit crazy. Okay, maybe a lot of bit crazy. I know that... Um, that, that things, uh, evil seems to be running around and, and, and making a muck of life and, and almost doing what, what it wants to do. Um, but we have a promise. We have a promise that we have the power to live in a way that will redeem the times. Found in the book of Ephesians chapter five, chapter five uh, where Paul urges the church. He says, walk circumspectly or walk diligently, walk with accountability, walk intently, walk carefully, walk in a way and in a manner according to the will of God that you know to do so. And the Bible says the next verse that that will redeem the time because the days are evil. Uh, we have the we have the authority to redeem this time and declare and live a lifestyle that's a that's walking a different standard than the rest of the world. So let's do so. Um, before we get into the book of Revelation here, uh, we're going to start reading. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn in the book of Revelation, chapter two, and starting at verse eighteen. Um, before we get into this, though, let's just take a moment. Take a moment to give God some praise and, and take a moment to worship him and get on the same page as him and, and, and just kind of get in tune with him. Hopefully, as best as we can, uh, relieve ourselves from some of the distractions that are around. I know that's sometimes easier said than done. 
but no matter where you are, um, let's just take a moment to give him some worship and some praise. Uh, I'm a firm believer that if we give God what we can, God will do in our life what we can't. Um, so let's do that. Let's just take a moment and praise and worship, realizing that, you know, the word of God is blessed. Um, and if we dig into the word of God, we're going to be blessed. So as we are being blessed, as we set up our lifestyle for this blessing, um, let's just give God some worship. Join with me. Let's worship. Let's praise. Father, we love you. Father, we honor you. Father, we thank you. Jesus, you taught us to pray in a manner that comes to our heavenly Father. And I want to thank you for being that kind of God, that you're not a God that is afar off. You're not a God that's, that's blind. You're not a God that's deaf. You're not a God that has such a short arm that you can't reach us. You're not a God that, that is, is not willing to walk among your people and be here with us. I want to thank you, Jesus, for being that type of God to us and for providing and making a way for us to be able to approach the great heavenly Father. Thank you that you love us the way that you do. Thank you for your faithfulness that endures forever. Thank you that when you woke me up this morning, you gave me new mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us so many wonderful, incredibly powerful gifts to live by, that you didn't leave us as orphans. You adopted us and pulled us in to give us what we needed most of all, and that was the gift of a love that comes straight from, from you. So, Father, thank you for that gift. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of grace. Thank you for the gift of mercy. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that there's more to this world than what we see and what we feel. Thank you, Lord, that we have the kingdom of heaven at our fingertips. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the precious and sweet and powerful Holy Spirit, that the same spirit that had the power to raise Christ from the dead is the same spirit operating in our lives today, raising us up in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of turbulent times. Raise us up, Holy Spirit. Thank you for that gift. Thank you that you love us the way that you do. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you in, in, in perspective, in proper perspective. We, we look higher. We walk higher. We call higher. We, we, we act, Lord, according to your will and not according to the things of this world. We thank you. We worship you. We praise you in advance. We worship you with gratitude. We praise you with faith, knowing, God, that you are right here with us and walking with us through it all. Thank you. We love you, we honor you, and we give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you love him, say amen no matter where you're at. Say it loud, say it proud. Amen. Uh, we are going to dive now into the book of Revelation, into the, the beginning of Revelation. I've said this the last few weeks. I'll say it again just to make sure that, that it, we really drive home this point, that over and over again, Jesus says to the churches, listen carefully. Listen carefully. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying. You know, he's, he's still speaking today. 
Listen carefully. He's still guiding you by his word and by his voice. Listen carefully. You all have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say because if you believe Christ is your Savior, you've given him your life. If you've repented and you've come to him and he's washed you clean by his blood and your life has been changed and renewed and you've become a new creation and a new birth in Jesus Christ. If, if you're in him, as the book of Ephesians says, if you're found in him, you are brand new and you have the Holy Spirit living in you. So you have a way to hear the voice of God. You have a way. Sometimes we, uh, we need to just um, do what we have to do to, to get in that way. <laughs> but um, you have the ability. Uh, you have the ability. Don't, um, don't ever forget that. Uh, don't ever forget that. So you have the ability. So just stop every once in a while. Read your word. Pray. Get, get deeper in him. And listen carefully to what he has to say. Now more than ever, you got to listen carefully. Um, I, I say this very, very seriously and very intently, uh, emphatically. I say this. Um, it, now more than ever, it is so important to get your affairs, the affairs of your heart, the affairs of your life, the affairs of your faith, the affairs of your family, the affairs of your home, now more than ever, get it in, get it in proper order. Um, I, I tell that to almost everybody that I meet because I feel like that's what God wants me to share with you right now, that in this season, God has allowed this season to, to hit us. He's allowed this season to, to come up and rise up and have us face this season. And as we face this season, as we face these changes, as we face uncertainty, as we face all of these things, now more than ever, let's get the important things right. Let's put them as a priority in our life. Let's get our heart in order. Let's get our mind in order. That's why we um, here at Rock Creek are doing something that I think is so important. And it's called the Head and Heart Conference with our kids and with our teens that uh, we want to make sure that they are getting the proper perspective in their mind and in their heart spiritually as they're facing the world the same world you and i are facing they're facing it as well maybe from a little bit of a, of a different vantage point but nonetheless they're facing it just like we are and they're just as scared and just as uncertain about all of the things that's going on as we are so we want to pour into them and get their head right and their heart right with christ but hey i don't want to stop with the kids and i want to stop with the teens uh, I want you and I to do the same thing. I want all the adults out there, all the moms, all the dads, all the grandmas, all the grandpas, all the, all of those who have been walking with Christ. It's time to even walk a little, little more intently. All of those that are just beginning this walk, I'm letting you know that you're on the right path and keep going, keep doing, keep worshiping, keep working, keep believing, keep praying, keep fasting, keep putting things in order, keep having faith. Don't let go of Christ's hand because he will not let go of you. Um, here we are picking up in the book of Revelation chapter two, verse 18, called the Church of Thyatira. Uh, church of Thyatira, um, most Bibles label this the corrupt church. Now, the whole church was not corrupt, but there was certainly some bad apples in this bunch. Let's see what God has in store for both the bad apples and the good apples. 
Um, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a fruitcake. All right, here we go. Verse 18, and to the angel of the, of the church of Thyatira write, these things says the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I do have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat the things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all of the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. Behold, be, or, but hold fast what you have. Hold on to that, for I'm coming. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. and He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thyatira um, was not necessarily a metropolis like we have already been studying um, it was not as big of a city or as bustling of a metropolis as, uh, say, the cities of Ephesus or Smyrna or Pergamum. Um, it was a little bit of a smaller city, even though it was, um, it was, it was moving. It was, it was going. It was productive. It was a, uh, it was popular in some sense. Some um, estimate that some scholars estimate that it housed around thirty to forty thousand people there in the city, um, kind of like the size of Hot Springs, maybe uh, not too far from that. And in that size, even though it was a little bit smaller, it was very productive, very productive in agriculture. Uh, some of the vineyards in this area. And even this whole area of Turkey were so productive and so, so wonderfully producing um, that actually the Roman uh, Emperor Domitian at one point in time uh, wanted all of the vineyards in this area cut down and burned down because they were providing uh, competition for uh, the vineyards there in Italy and Greece and those other areas. And um, so he had them burned, he had them cut down. Um, there was a lot of 
of production here. I've said that word a few times now, but literally that's what was going on uh, in this city. It was, uh, they were, they, they had uh, silversmiths and blacksmiths and goldsmiths and bronze smiths. They had uh, a lot of pottery was made here, a lot of textiles, which was probably uh, one of their biggest commodities was textiles and dyes of textiles here in this area. In fact, uh, known around the known world at the time were the textiles that came from this area and some of the dyes, like especially the red dyes and the purple dyes that came from this area. In fact, you will read about in Acts chapter 16 that there was a lady by the name of Lydia that uh, Apostle Paul had won to Christ and had began, begun walking this Christian walk through the ministry and the gospel the Apostle Paul had presented to her, she was actually from this area and she also played a very important part in using her skills and her talents uh, in dyeing purple, uh, dyeing textiles purple. She used those skills in actually helping build churches and helping support churches and helping support Paul's ministry during this, uh, during this time, during this day. Um, so uh, it, it was all connected. It was pretty interesting to see how uh, the churches, even though they were a few thousand miles away from Jerusalem, uh, they were all still very connected, that there were Jews here, there were synagogues here. Uh, obviously, the, some of the Christians that were in Jerusalem are now in this area. Um, you got John the Apostle, who was a bishop over Ephesus, uh, you got Timothy, who we read about, who uh, Apostle Paul commissions on some of his mission trips and even to be a pastor at some point in time. Um, all of these are interwoven. All of these are connected. And guess what? They're all interwoven and they're all connected by the very hand of the Son of God. That's how he presents himself to this church, the Son of God, which is, uh, which is an interesting way to um, show himself, an interesting way to reveal himself and call himself. Even though we know him as the Son of God, it was really important for the church of Thyatira to hear this um, because Thyatira was actually built by Alexander the Great and it was built to be a military garrison. Um, that was its primary purpose back uh, before this church and before the city had grown to be what it is now. And they worshipped, the, the patron god of Thyatira was Apollos. Um, and he was the one that was really the driving force, supposedly, in their, in their deism. The driving force behind their community and their way of life. And uh, he was the one that had the wisdom and the way to, to be able to help Alexander the Great uh, win some war and to keep moving forward. And so they worshiped him in such a way that actually Apollos was called in that day, the son of God. So here it is, Jesus uh, actually speaking to the church saying, no, 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 I am the son of God, really and truly. Uh, I'm the son of God. So make sure that um, you get things in proper order that I know Apollos is worshiped just as in our world today, so many things and so many idols in some way or form or fashion, they're worshiped. But Jesus is stepping in and saying, no, put me first. Worship me as the son of God. Because you know what? Apollos didn't die for you. 
Uh, Apollos uh, is, is a God that you have to appease. He's a God that you have to um, perform certain things and do certain things just right, and maybe you'll earn his favor. But Jesus is saying, I am the son of God that has come to give you unmerited favor called grace, called mercy. Uh, so much so that even in those bad apples we just talked about, he has given them an opportunity time and time again to repent. He's, he's poured his grace out and continuing to pour his grace out now and then. Jesus, um, Jesus gives his, his church, he's talking to and walking with, he's giving them hope. He's giving them hope to look higher than even Apollos to say he is the son of God. He is the one that is knitting all of this together. He is the one weaving all of this. The son of God is also known as in that day they had churches that were ascribed to the wisdom, Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. Apollos uh, was, was supposed to have wisdom for Alexander the Great, but, but Jesus is saying, I am the personified wisdom of God. Just listen to me, walk the way I ask, walk how I have called you to walk, do as I've called you to do, put your heart and your mind right, and I will take care of the rest. Um, in the middle of all of this, he's, um, he, he's, telling the church to hold fast to what you do have. Hold fast to what you do have. And, and um, some would say, well, what did they have? Well, that's interesting to note that um, because, because this area was such an area in a city of productivity and manufacturing, if you will, that um, there were, um, the, the backbone of this society was something called a guild or guilds, um, something kind of like unions today, um, that every worker, every area that, that they worked, whether it was in bronze or silver or textiles or pottery or agriculture or whatever, they all had a guild that they belonged to, a union that they belonged to. And that literally was the backbone of this society, that they found strength in assembling together. Um, uh, because of that, though, there were a few times a year that they would have great festivals in the temple of Apollos for all of the guilds to come together and to celebrate, whether it was like the end of the harvest season or the end of the summer season, knowing that they're going into the beginning of the fall and the winter season that they would come together and that they would have huge parties and huge festivities uh, honoring the god Apollo, honoring their deity in, in ways in which that they would sacrifice and uh, present food on that altar there to him and to thank him for it and to honor him for that. Then they would partake of that and eat of that as, um, as if to say, uh, I recognize you're the one that has given this to me and I'm the one that is partaking of you, my God. Um, in, in a small way, I'm becoming one with you. 
Uh, and in an even greater way, there were also some moments in this festivity of um, uh, some sexual immorality that came out of this as well. Uh, basically, it was it was a party. I mean, it really was. It was it was uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in in uh, Mardi Gras it stays there in Mardi Gras. And at this time, uh, while this is going on. You've got the Christians, you've got the church, who is not choosing to do those certain things. And because they choose not to partake in those certain things, they're stricken out, they're crossed out of um, the favor of society. They're placed now in a, a undesirable subculture. They're not bowing their knee in worship, they're not, they're not doing what the guilds and the unions want them to do. They're living in a different type of union, the union with the assembly of the body of Christ, the union with Christ, not the union with the guilds or unifying with Apollos. Um, because of that, they're literally losing a way of life their 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 backbone has been broken, so to speak. Um, basically, they're hit where it counts, the pocketbook. Um, they're hit there hard, and it's harder for them to have a way of life and and to have this success that the rest of the world looks at as so important. Success meaning favor with people and success meaning popularity and success meaning uh, the ability to do whatever you want whenever you want it. Success being worshiping Apollos and, and partaking in the festivities. Success meaning having a lot of stuff and a lot of things um, to be proud of. Um, that's what the church was facing here. They were losing or had lost in some situation their way of life where we just, last week we read about Pergamos and how the Christians there, the church there was literally losing their life, um, being martyred for their belief, especially the belief in one God and not being the God of the de deities around or the temples around and especially not being the God of the emperor in, uh, of Rome. And if they cannot worship the emperor, well, then they are, um, their way of life is, is made much, much harder. Um, their, their way of life was, uh, even though it was more difficult, at the same time, they actually had more peace, more love more service, the willingness to work and to love one another and be there for one another. How do I know that? Because it's what Jesus said, that even in the midst of all of this, he said, good job, that a boy, way to go, church. I know your works, I know your service, I know your love, I know your patience. Ooh, patience in, in the middle of these hard times and where does patience come from? It comes from the peace that passes all understanding. And the world looked at them in a way where we, they could not understand 
could not comprehend the peace that they could have even though their lifestyle was not exactly the way that the worlds would have. I would also challenge, put that challenge out to us today that the world has a certain set of standards that says if you live by this and if you get what you want out of this uh, in this way, then you're going to have peace, right? Um, apparently that's not working because um, we're, we're not at peace. Um, not only are we not at peace just culturally, but now more than ever are, are things on the rise like um, depression and anxiety, suicide, all of these things. We as a culture are not at peace. Why? Because we have this idea that if we get what we want, then we're going to have peace. Um, Jesus says it's the other way. It's the other way. If you, if you, if you get me, if you get peace, if you get the Holy Spirit, that, that's where true peace comes from. And he says, not only do you have these things, not only do you have love and peace and service and patience and all these things, but you're actually getting stronger. He says, your works now are greater than they were at the very beginning. You're getting stronger you're growing. You're growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God. You're growing in your spiritual strength. And is it possible? Is it possible that at a time like this, at a season like this, and in a world of uncertainty and in a world that's just turbulently changing almost on a daily basis, is it possible to grow stronger? Is it possible to, to, to have your faith in your spiritual life and spirit man, spirit woman inside? Is it possible for that to grow stronger even in the midst of all of this? I have a resounding yes. Listen to the word of Christ with a resounding yes. It's not only possible, but it's probable when you get things in proper order, when you get things in proper perspective. Um, Get off of the fence, so to speak, and take up your cross and follow him. I say that because it's a segue into what Jesus did say about nevertheless, I do have something against you. He said there, you're allowing this bad apple to be in the bunch. And this bad apple has actually influenced already a few other apples, it all, it, all it takes is one, and it doesn't take very long at all, especially in certain pressured and hot conditions. I've learned um, in the warmer the condition, the hotter the condition is, the more humidity and the more pressure it is, the quicker fruit will rot. Um, they've got a rotten fruit in their assembly, in their union. Um, that rotten fruit is someone that he calls Jezebel. Most of you have heard this before, and I'm sure this, this name is, is, is a popular name not for a good reason. In fact, there's a, uh, there was nobody in this day and time, no, no, nobody wanted to be named Jezebel. 
especially those of the church and those uh, of the Jews. That, that, that was not a name that uh, was meant a term of endearment. Why? Because if you look all the way back in the Old Testament and in the book of Kings, um, this, was, this was the nemesis, if you will, of the, the, the synagogue and the Jewish way of believing in one God and worshiping him only. Um, it fell in the same days of Elijah, where um, King Ahab, which was a very wicked king, wicked in the way that he was not following the will of God. He was following the will of himself, and in some cases, the will of the people that would buy their way into his life. Um, he married a woman by the name of Jezebel, became obviously queen of of, of Israel, of this, of this area, and she was instrumental in bringing in the worship of Baal. Now, even though the, this idol worship was around at this time, she was really instrumental in bringing it in to Israel, bringing it in to the people of God, and basically tearing down the altars of God and erecting altars of Baal and um, having the people really choose, making them choose who they're going to serve. And that's where Elijah has his famous showdown on Mount Carmel with all of the prophets of Baal and, and with the people of God on one side and the prophets of Baal on the other side. He has this showdown about who to serve and who to worship. Is it going to be Baal or is it going to be God? Because you can't do both. You can't do both. If you try to do both, it's called unfaithfulness. Uh, just as if you're married, um, you can't be married and also be moving around, sleeping around. You can't do that. You can't have it both ways. That would be unfaithfulness. Um, the Bible talks a lot and in fact even emphasizes sexual immorality as a really big deal a really big sin, if you will. And I know the word sin is not very popular right now, but can we just call it like it is? It's sin because sin is something that falls short of the glory of God. It's something that misses the point and misses what the Bible says is the point of God, the point of love, the point of grace, the point of mercy, the point of peace and joy and worshiping God. It misses the mark. Sin misses the mark. It, gets, it makes you go astray. And just as Jezebel made Israel go astray by bringing in idol worship, um, so life tries to get us to go astray by making us bow our knees to all kinds of things, um, all kinds of, of things that are less than what God intends for us. Let me just give you an example. God intends for us to have pure love. He is love. We have him in our life. We have pure love. I, I love doing weddings. And when I do a wedding, I always emphasize the fact that if you have Christ in your relationship, then you have true love in your relationship. If you have anything less than that, it's less than true love. Um, where God wants us to have true love, that's the point of relationship. True love. 
both in a marriage and in, in a sexual context, but also outside of that. There are actually four meanings to the word love, four, four different terms to the word love. I'm not going to get into all that right now, but in each one of them, one of them is, is brotherly love, love that you have for those you're assembling with. And God calls that the church and the fact that he loves the church the way he loves the church and the church is supposed to love him back. And one of the ways we love him back is by showing true love one for another. And while that is the intent and the purpose that God has for us, the world tries to stray us aside and tries to define love by using lust. And lust is something that will actually make you stray from true love because lust is self-driven. Lust is usually based on selfishness and self-centeredness. And in turn, we, we fall for this and become self-righteous in this where I want what I want and I get what I want and that's what I'm going to worship. Um, that doesn't work with God. <laughs> that doesn't work in the church because that's sin and it's less than what God intended for us. Um, there was this Jezebel, some lady for whatever reason, was allowed to be a prophetess. And a prophetess is, when you hear the word prophet, and you hear the word prophetess, and you hear the word prophecy, uh, especially in the book of Revelation, we think maybe future telling or, 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 or something like that. That's not really the, the, the true meaning of prophet, prophetess, prophecy. Um, the true meaning is of prophecy is to foretell the will and the plan of God by using a word from God. So it's, it's to teach the word, the will, and the way of God plainly to people who are trying to walk in accordance to God's will. That's why the book of Revelation is prophetic. This is God saying, this is how my will and my plan is going to unfold. Um, get ready for that. I don't know if it's going to be today, tomorrow, or next week. Either way, live. Get things in order in a way where you are reading this plan that's going to unfold and you're found on the right side of this plan. This prophetess was, was trying to teach the people here and, and for whatever reason it calls it the depths of Satan. So basically she's trying to teach deep things to the church, things that are not necessarily of God, but things that are of compromise, and compromise is bringing in corruption. Um, for instance, she's teaching, kind of like what we've already covered in the, the Nicolaitans, she's teaching that it's okay to have it both ways. It's okay to live for God and live for the world at the same time. It's okay to, to bow your knee to Christ, get up, walk to the temple of Apollos, and bow your knee to him as well. All the while we know, and the church, most people know that no, no, God says he's, he's a, a, a God and only him do you worship. He's a jealous God. He, 
He's a God that's um, done all of this for us. And who am I to say I don't want that way? Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a belief right now that basically says, you just pick your own way to heaven. Uh, find your own way to heaven. And um, I, have, I have trouble with that. I have trouble with that because um, if God made my way to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ, in especially the way that he did, in giving his life as a ransom for me, I don't want to slap my God in the face by saying, that way doesn't work for me. That way is not good enough for me. Let me find my own way. I can't do that. I can't do that. And I can't do that because I have learned to do something that um, Jesus is telling his church to do. And that is... I've learned to value Jesus. I've learned to value Jesus more than any other thing in my life. Jezebel was trying to lead them astray by, by compromising and, and, and then leading to corruption by basically saying, it's okay to worship both gods. And Jesus is saying, I'm the son of God. And don't commit sexual immorality as she's saying it's okay to do. Don't eat food that's been given to Apollos in the temple. He's not saying you can't go to the market and, and buy some grapes and eat them. What he's saying is, is don't present your worship to Apollos and thank him for your way of living whenever I'm the one that is the way, the truth, and the life. You must make a choice. You know what? Um... I think that that's happening today um, and will continue to happen more and more and more. It's happened for thousands of years and that choice will never go away. We have a choice on who we serve. Just as Joshua said, if we're going to go into the promised land, if we're going to cross over into this new way of life that God has for us, if we're going to be partakers of his promise, then we must choose who we're going to serve. And he says the famous line, I know who I'm going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Jesus is, is really saying, I'm giving them the, I've given them the opportunity to choose. Those who don't repent, there's death waiting for them. Those who don't repent, there's sickness waiting for them. That sickness will lead unto death. I promise you, just as we read about in, in, in New Testament and other places, that when the wages of sin is, is death. And Jesus is saying, but for those of you who hold fast to your profession and your faith and your love and your patience and your service to me, those of you who hold fast to that, I've got these wonderful promises for you. He says, I'm gonna set you up as being a ruler. Um, in, in my mind, it's kind of like Joseph who uh, was being ostracized by his brothers for the will of God in his life and actually kicked down and thrown in a pit and beat up and sold into slavery. And you know that story. But in the end, it was the brothers, the one who beat him down and sold him off, was the very ones that came to him for help later in life. And even in some respect, bowed down to him. Not that 
we're calling to be worshiped, but Jesus is saying, if you hold fast to me, if you give me what you have, I will, t I will do what you can and I will position you in a place of a higher authority. I'll give to you a rod, a scepter, and I will put it in your hand. That means, it, it, he said, he even says, you can use it in a way to break clay vessels, to break the standards and the systems of this world, which is, it's gonna fade away. It's like a clay vessel. It's gonna dry up, it's gonna break, it's gonna fade away. He goes on to say, and I will give you the morning star, the morning star. He's called the morning star in scripture. So I think Jesus is saying, I'm gonna give you me. I'm gonna give you myself. You know, I've, I'm gonna close, but I feel like asking this question first. And it's a question that is, is very heavy. I recognize that. But it's something you need to ask yourself. You need to come to terms with between you and Christ. Jesus said, I'm the one that looks at the mind and the heart. The mind and the heart in that day was the center of who you were. What goes on in your head, what goes on in your heart, it's the center of who you are. Jesus said that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The center of who you are. Can I ask you something? At the center of who you are, do you value Jesus more than anything else? If the world came and stole all your stuff, would you be okay because you laid up treasures in a kingdom that moth can't eat and rust can't destroy and thieves can't steal? Do you value Jesus? Do you think about him throughout the day? As you make a decision, do you take into account what he thinks and what he says and his will and his way? How much do you value Jesus? I mean, really make your world revolve around him. Sometimes as Christians, sometimes as, as churchgoers, I think we're sometimes really good at knowing all of the answers, knowing what to say, knowing all the answers for the test that you've, you, you've, you know what to write down to pass the test. But I'm wondering, how many of us are getting to know the answer? Jesus, the answer for all of our needs, all of the peace we're looking for. It doesn't come from just saying the right thing. It comes from knowing the right one. How much do you value him? How much value do you place on him? Is he the most valuable thing in your life? I know that most people have a safe in their house. It's probably in some kind of inner room or maybe in a room that's um, a little bit safer than, than just being out in the open. 
Um, it's a place that you put your valuables in. Certain things that are would be hard to replace or even irreplaceable in some respects. And Jesus said in Psalm 91, he's that safe place. He who dwells in that safe place will abide under his shadow. Those that seek that safe place with him value him. And when you value him, he comes and he covers you. He covers you. He walks with you with eyes of fire and feet with brass. He's here walking with you. I'm gonna close in prayer, but as I do, just take inventory of your heart. Get things in order. Get your mind and your heart in order. And you can't do that on your own power and your own strength. Let him do that. Come to him. Value him. Let him change your life. Let him work in your life. He's here for you. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you. Lord, I want to thank you that you first valued me before I ever valued you. In your word, you said you, you found a, a treasure in this earth, so much so that you sold everything you could sell to go and buy this treasure, and to not just buy the treasure, but buy the land around it. Father, we're your treasure. We are your treasure. And you valued us so much that you gave your life. No other God did that for me. No other God did that for me. No other God showed me how much I was worth. Father, I want to thank you. So, Lord, it would behoove me to do the same back to you. On a daily basis, may I show you. May I show you by my faith and may I show you by my belief and yes, may I even show you by my works how much I value you. Father, you are the most valuable thing to me. Your will is the most valuable thing to me. Underneath that is my family and my friends because they're in your will as well. Father, I value you. I pray for all of those who are, who are weighing in the balance and sitting on the fence about this. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pour out power and even a correction to those who need it to bring them back to you. Father, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We pray that... The Holy Spirit does an incredible work in your life. We pray that you come closer to him now more than ever. We love you. We're praying for you. God bless you.
Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.